Welcome to An Amber A Day, the podcast all about functional nutrition for PCOS. I'm Amber Fisher, a certified nutrition specialist and licensed dietitian nutritionist, and I have training in functional medicine. I also have PCOS, and on this podcast, we discuss PCOS in depth, the nutrition strategies for it, as well as the realities of living with it and making this lifestyle work. For further guidance and meal plan support, you can check out the show notes for links to my PCOS courses and programs. And if this podcast helps you, please do me a favor and leave me a review. Thank you so much for being here. Let's get into today's episode. Hello, hello. You are listening to An Amber a Day, the Functional Nutrition Podcast. And I am your host, Amber Fisher, and this is season two, officially season two of uh, An Amber Day, the Functional Nutrition Podcast. And those of you who have been listening for a long time are going to be like, uh, season two, hasn't this podcast been going since 2018? And you would be correct if you were to say that. However, um, when I first started this podcast, you know, as I'm creating the whole like little thing on, I use Buzzsprout. That's my like podcast host. They're like, you know, for each of your episodes, you can determine, oh, what season is this and what episode is it? And I thought back then, seasons. Why would I need seasons? Like, I'll just do a podcast every week. And, you know, I love doing podcasts. So, whatever, like, it should be fine. I'll just do one every week. No big deal. Um, 2018 Amber was a different person, guys. So 2018 Amber didn't think she would need seasons. 2022 Amber knows that seasons help keep a balanced life and help give time for inspiration to return. Uh, So I thought, you know, I've been thinking about this for like a year. I thought, what the heck? 2022, we're starting on a new leaf, right? We're going to start season. So this is officially season two. So I took some time to just rejuvenate myself over December and didn't think much about the podcast at all since like late last fall because I have uh, been in my hermit hole literally uh, working day and night whenever I have a free second on this course, which if I haven't mentioned it before... I have a course coming out called Functional PCOS, a root cause nutrition course, and it's super intense, and I'm going to tell you about it later. But anyway, um, yeah, so I didn't pay much attention to the podcast for a bit and certainly wasn't checking up on the stats on it or anything. I opened them up a week or so ago as I'm kind of thinking about and planning out podcasts for the year, and whoa, like I have a lot. <laughs> There's a lot of new people listening to this. It was very surprising to me um, how many people found the podcast over the fall and especially as the year has started, how many people have been finding it. So welcome. If you're new, I hope you're enjoying it. Um, as you can tell, the podcast is very conversational. So, um, you know, I I do obviously do research for the podcasts. Um, and, but most of what I do is I pull in experience from working with clients. I've had a private practice now since 2015 and I've been specializing in, uh, women's health, fertility, infertility, um, fertility treatments and PCOS since it's been a few years now that I've like been specifically specializing in that. So I've gathered a lot of experience over the years in those topics and I love to share them. 
wow, guys, I am rusty um, <laughs> at this. So, um, yeah, thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. Today, what I want to talk about is uh, some realistic New Year's goals for PCOS. And I want to preface that by saying that, you know, realistic is obviously different person to person. Like, some of these might be might not be realistic for you if you're coming from a place where you haven't like worked on health at all. Um, but maybe you can incorporate one of them or something like that. Um, and the reason I wanted to do this is because every year I talk about like weight loss and New Year's resolutions and things like that in January because that's that's what everybody's thinking about. You know, that's what everybody's talking about. New Year's resolutions are still a big deal. And have historically been a big deal. And even though I think we have this weird cultural thing now where we kind of villainize New Year's resolutions, I really like them. Like I think that they are really hopeful and positive because it's kind of like, you know, I like the idea that like every year we kind of get like this energetic clean slate. And I do think that most people feel that year to year because otherwise, why wouldn't like New Year's Eve be so nostalgic? You know, like the end of the year is very nostalgic. It's like you're thinking back on the things that you've done and the things that you've accomplished and and the hard things that have happened and how you've grown as a person, right? And then the new year starts and you're like, okay, new year, new me. And, you know, I mean, the over-the-top stuff, like the like crash dieting and and all those things, like, no, that's not. That's not what I mean by by hopeful and helpful and all that. But I really think, I mean, I, I may be biased and like my experience may be different than a lot of you, but most of what I see from people during the new year are not like negative New Year's goals. Um, they're pretty positive. Like I usually see people do things like, hey, I'm going to like start an exercise routine or I'm going to um, – I don't know, I'm going to work on my health or whatever. And uh, so, you know, a lot of the times it's like weight related, but I guess I have a nuanced view of that because I just don't think, um, I, I I don't think people are generally successful when weight is the only motivation, but I also do think that weight can be a beneficial motivation for like getting healthier and that a lot of people, if they decide to lose weight in the right way by like taking better care of themselves, they end up getting so much more from that original goal. Like, you know, say the original goal was to lose 20 pounds, but as they're eating healthier and as they're exercising more and as they're just like feeling more vibrant and more healthy, they realize that they like the way they feel and they want to continue that. And so they keep looking into health and they keep looking into wellness and all this stuff. And I think that's a good thing. And, um, you know, I know that happens because every year – January, believe it or not, is usually a pretty slow month for me. And a lot of people always, you know, a lot of people think, oh, you're a nutritionist. So like January, you must be crazy busy. And the last probably two years, I have had a waiting list for January because I have stopped seeing people at a certain time at the end of the year. So my January does get booked up. But it's not like this thing where I'm getting just tons of people reaching out like, oh my gosh, it's January. Like, let me go see this nutritionist. Let me try to get on her calendar. It's really kind of quiet right now. Like, you know, just like a trickle of people wanting to sign up for discovery sessions and things like that. And it happens like that every year. You would think that it would be like crazy, but it's not. And the reason is because people – 
I believe, try to do things on their own at the beginning of January. They, um, you know, they're trying to lose weight. They're doing their exercise routine, whatever. And as they kind of like hit either one of two things, either they, they make these positive changes and they realize like, wow, I could really do a lot more if I had professional help. Or they struggle on their own and they're like, okay, I need to really see a professional to help me. So it's like one or the other. But by February, it is crazy town over here. And I look, uh, I look forward to that every year because, um, I would say like February, March and April are probably like the most, um, exciting months in my work. Um, and, you know, it's it's fun, like that energy of that newness. I'm having a hard time conveying what I'm trying to say, but you guys get it. Um, I think it's just really, it's really nice. So, yeah, I wanted to create this podcast because, of course, the majority of you who listen have PCOS. And, you know, PCOS is really where the crux of my work happens and what I'm aiming towards specializing more and more in as time goes on. And so a lot of my content is going to be PCOS related. And I thought, why don't I do a special podcast for all my PCOS peeps about some things that will really help with your symptoms if you just try to incorporate them and some things that are realistic, some things that you could follow through with throughout the whole year. But, you know... A long time ago, a client gave me a book called the, I think it was called the compound effect or something like that. Anyway, the concept was instead of trying to make these crazy huge changes like all at once, focus on making like little changes consistently over time. And over time, those little changes, they compound like interest in a bank account, you know, and they build on, on each other so that, you know, if you eat, for example, um, I think a lot of the, the examples were like calorie based, you know, which let's not get into the whole controversy on calories, but like, let's say you ate only, uh, I don't know, a hundred calories less a day or whatever. Like if you were consistent with that a hundred less than what you normally eat, you know, that would build up over time to a really substantial, uh, like deficit. So, um, that's the concept, the compound effect. And I think that we can take that concept and apply it to these New Year's resolutions, especially if you're doing this on your own. Because these little consistent changes made daily, by this time next year, you're going to look like a totally different person. Not just physically, and you might look different physically. Um, you likely will look different physically, but, but mentally, emotionally. Um, what I can tell you about my work with with all my clients is that if they stick with me for at least like three months or so, usually they look completely different in their habits. I want to say permanently. I can't say that for everybody because, of course, some people kind of go back to their old patterns and things like that, and and that's always hard. But the majority of people, like even if they regain weight or even if – you know, things happen or whatever, they always are going to make different choices than they would have before because they know better now. And I really think so much of nutrition is like an education problem. Like people just don't know. We're really not educated on this stuff. And, um, and simultaneously we're like oversaturated with content about it. You know, we've got this 
dichotomy between like nobody knows what the heck is going on. Um, nutrition research is confusing. And so there's no like consensus among professionals for the most part. And then like we've got all these people who pretend that they like know the one true way. Like they're very religious about nutrition and they're like, this is exactly what you need to do or don't you dare do that. Don't touch this, you know. And so you're like, what? Like even in just the PCOS sphere, I know you've seen this. It's like just with these these like dietitians and nutritionists who like specialize in PCOS. I I follow a lot of them because, you know, we like network or whatever. And my feed is like so crazy. Like I'm sure a lot of y'all's looks like this too, but it'll be like one person being like low and slow workouts, like heavy weights only, never, ever do a hit routine. And then literally the next person will be like, you've been told you need to eliminate hit. No, you don't. Like hit is great for PCOS. Um, or with the carb thing, I mean, you know, it's, it's all over the place. Keto is the best for PCOS. Like everybody loses weight doing keto. Everybody improves their hormones doing keto. Oh, keto's terrible for you. It's horrible for your hormones. It's like, ah, it's too much. It is too much. So let's talk about some of these things. Um, so the first one. Eliminating added sugar. Uh, you've probably heard this before because this is just like shoved down your throat whenever you have PCOS, but sugar is not our friend. When you have PCOS, you almost certainly have some sort of insulin imbalance, whether it be too much insulin circulating in your system, they call that hyperinsulinemia, or um, you have like insulin resistance, which is causing you to produce more insulin than you need. Uh for like meals and things like that. Or um, you've developed like a further version of insulin resistance where your pancreas kind of start stops being able to keep up and pump out all that extra insulin. And so you start developing like pre-diabetic and type 2 diabetic type symptoms. So this is all, it all happens on a gradient. And many, many of us with PCOS are at the very beginning of that gradient where it's hard to find on traditional lab work. Like we don't see that there's an insulin problem except for the fact that we have PCOS. But we know this, like there is substantial research to back this up that whether you are thin or overweight or in the middle with PCOS, there's almost always an insulin issue. I would argue that it's always there and we just can't always pick up on it with lab work, but, um, Welcome to the Alchemy of Natural Healing. I'm your host, Laurel Dewey. True healing is an alchemical process, meaning it must transform you on all levels, body, mind, and spirit. What affects one affects all three. True healing is one of the hardest journeys you'll ever travel, but it's one of the most rewarding and fulfilling when you get to meet yourself for the first time. If you're ready to take that journey, let's get started. But yeah, there's always an, an insulin issue. So there are a lot of strategies to managing like insulin issues and some work better for some people. Um, you know, the whole like keto thing works better for those in general, works better for those who are more in the type 2 diabetic like arena, right? Their, their pancreas isn't keeping up. 
Uh, whereas strategies that are a little bit more gentle and still include some carbs and lots and lots of fiber and things work better for that hyperinsulinemia group because it helps to improve that insulin resistance over time. You know, giving sending your body the signal that like you don't need to overproduce insulin. And so your pancreas doesn't need to die, right? Um, so everyone runs the gamut here, but what, what we can all agree on is that added sugar to the diet is, is detrimental. And this is true whether you have PCOS or not, actually. Added sugar to the diet is detrimental to human health. Um, the World Health Organization actually recommends a substantially lower amount of daily added sugar than the United States federal government. And uh, this is what I think is kind of like a fundamental difference between the what the United States thinks of as moderation and what the rest of the world thinks of as moderation. So when we talk about like added sugar, I I talked about this um, before and somebody was like, okay, so I just like will eliminate everything that brings me joy. Great. You know, um, but this is really a miss. It's a misunderstanding of the place that sugar has in our lives in the first place. Like as Americans, those of you who are from the United States, we rely very heavily on sugar as part of our of our daily diet. Like we eat a lot of pastries and baked goods. We drink a lot of like sodas. But even beyond that, even let's say we're cutting those things out, a lot of our food has sugar added into it. Even things like bread and, you know, um, sauces and like meat marinades, like things that don't need sugar have sugar added into them. So we build up this increased amount of sugar over time, especially when we pair that with eating a higher carbohydrate diet, which we would call the standard American diet, a higher carbohydrate diet, you know, rice and bread and pasta and all these things being staples of our meals. You add added sugar onto that, um, you know, with desserts and stuff like that. And you've got a ton of sugar in the diet and it's really, really hard on human health. And it's especially hard when you have PCOS because it flares that insulin problem. And that insulin problem is behind so many of the PCOS symptoms from irregular periods to facial hair to excess testosterone. Like it's the insulin that drives that. So um, eliminating added sugars is like a first step on the road to figuring out your carb tolerance. Um, everyone can benefit from that because if you do that, you still can eat fruit. You still can eat rice. Like you still can eat carbs. You're just not eating sweet carbs. You're eliminating sweet stuff um, besides fruit, which I guess is sweet, but it's kind of its own thing. You know, things like yogurts that have sweetener in them and you know jam and like all this stuff, it adds up. So being really conscious about looking at labels and when it says um, what you're looking for is on the label, it'll say added sugar and it'll tell you how many grams of added sugar are in it. You want to ideally look for things that have zero grams of added sugar um, and they only have like natural sugars present in them. And, you know, the only exception I would say to that rule is if you're looking at like juice and things like that. Juice is naturally very sweet and separated from fiber, so it's going to impact your body just like regular sugar, but it's not necessarily going to show up on the added sugar label because it's not added to it. It's natural in it. You see what I'm saying? So that's a little sneaky way they get around those things. But I think if you just start off with looking at labels and seeing like, okay, how much added sugar is in this? 
and avoiding things that have any or, you know, have more than like one or two grams, you'll, you'll make a lot of really important changes to your life. And in general, um, I believe the world health organization recommends like 10 gram, no more than 10 grams a day of added sugar. Cause it's, it's, it's kind of impossible to avoid it completely. Like, you know, there's going to be a little bit here and there, but if you st- stay under 10 grams of added sugar a day, you'll be following a lot of the kind of world organizational recommendations, which I pay a little bit more attention to than like what the federal government says, just personally, that's a personal opinion. Um, so yeah, eliminating added sugar. I mean, that can really add up over a year. Like you'll notice big changes, especially if you're not eating like sweets and cookies and cakes and stuff. And when I say eliminate added sugar, I I really mean like about 90% of the time. I don't expect you to be like this perfect person who never touches sugar and who never, like never eats a cookie. Um, that's unrealistic, right? But we're aiming for, we're aiming for a sense of moderation that in the typical American diet is not present. We don't have good ideas about what moderation is because we're not taught that. Um, systemically, like we're, we're taught that moderation looks very much to me like overindulgence. So our version of what overindulgence is versus moderation is warped. And, um, I think that's a fundamental truth amongst like Americans in general. And one of the reasons why we have so much like, um, so much debate over things like calories and carbs and intuitive eating and diet culture and all of these things because we don't have a set agreed upon standard for what moderation looks like. So um, what I'm trying to do with this and what you're trying to do with this for yourself is develop a sense of moderation for yourself, a pattern, if you will, a habit. So 90% of the time, what does that look like? That looks like maybe once, no more than twice a week, you're having a, like a standard serving of dessert. So like a piece of cheesecake or, you know, um, a couple of chocolate chip cookies, something like that. And the rest of the time, you know, your added sugar is going to stay on those 10 grams. So you're looking at things like very dark chocolate as a dessert. You know, if you feel like you need to kind of accommodate a sweet tooth as you're, as you're adjusting and you will adjust. With time, you will adjust. Foods will taste sweeter to you that previously you couldn't taste anything with. Things like veggies and fruits like will taste a lot better to you because sugar is very numbing for your taste buds. And when you remove that um, and when you remove like artificial sweeteners and things like that, all of a sudden your taste buds open up and you can taste things that you couldn't before. And like to piggyback onto that goal, and I guess another goal that could be a separate goal if you need it to be, would be eliminating artificial sweeteners as well. And full full disclosure, like this is something that I still to this day am struggling with Um, because artificial sweeteners are also so prevalent. And especially now that we've like kind of got this hint culturally that like added sugar is, you know, not so good. We've got this flourishing of sugar-free products, right? And and they all taste really good too. They taste just as sweet and, um, and you're like, you know, you feel like you're almost – getting something for free, like you, you're getting this sweet taste and something that tastes like dessert, but it's not like, you know, technically impacting you calorically. The thing is artificial sweeteners are still metabolically damaging. Like they damage gut bacteria, which, um, down the, down the line damages insulin response, 
So they do make insulin resistance worse over time. Um, and on top of that, they're like numbing for your taste buds. So again, like things that are healthier for you will not taste as good, which makes it harder to eat them. Um, so, uh, on top of that, like, I think the biggest reason is that they're insulin resistance drivers. Um, and the, the sad thing about artificial sweeteners is that they don't really impact your insulin resistance, like in the moment. Um, you know, they don't, they don't typically cause that excessive of like an insulin surge. There is some, but it's not super excessive, um, compared to like a regular soda or whatever. But, uh, what they do is they, they damage your insulin resistance over time and it builds with time. So it's hard because artificial sweeteners are also very addicting and we tend to like include them more and more. And the more we include, the worse our insulin resistance is going to get. So, um, that's another like huge goal. I often get asked like, what's worse, a diet soda or a regular soda? Like, that's a really hard question to answer um, because they're both bad in different ways. Um, in different ways. One's more bad in the immediate moment and the other one is worse over time, but they both cause problems. So th- the, be- the best answer is to eliminate both of them. But anyway, uh, so that's another goal. Okay, and then let's talk about some things you can add to your life. So those are things like to subtract, right? And New Year's goals, a lot of times we like to subtract things from our life, get rid of certain things, get rid of those toxic people or whatever it may be. But there's also a lot of things that we can add. And uh, sometimes this is easier to wrap your head around, um, especially if you're struggling to remove things because you don't know what to put in their place. So... Particularly important for PCOS is eating enough vegetable matter because of the fiber present in vegetables and all the antioxidants and polyphenols and all these different components that are good for, you know, kind of various parts of our system. So they're good for our liver and our our ability to detoxify. That's what our liver does. And our liver is what processes our hormones um, as they're ready to be excreted from the system. So old hormones, it's it's what processes... um, things that come up from that have been stored in body fat. And so if you're like in the process of losing weight, like your liver is very important there too. It processes a lot of things for us. So we need to support our livers and be really nice to our livers and vegetables do a good job of that because they contain a lot of different components that are beneficial for the liver, especially cruciferous veggies like broccoli and cauliflower and stuff. Um, on top of that, they contain a lot of fiber. Fiber helps your body to produce more sex hormone binding globulin, SHBG. And what that does is it kind of binds to androgens, to testosterone, and helps get it out of the system. So they help to reduce the symptoms of too much testosterone, too many androgens, like facial hair and hair loss and things like that. So they're really important for that. They also include, uh, polyphenols, which are components that are like food for uh, beneficial bacteria in the gut um, and help to rebalance gut bacteria. And gut bacteria is, you know, not not the greatest in PCOS. And there's, you know, there's research to support that. So eating your veggies, really key. But how many do you eat? Um, what's a good goal? I think for most people, especially if you're coming from a place where you don't eat vegetables or you don't eat them very often, sticking to about three cups a day 
is a great place to start. Three cups a day is very easy to implement into your life. You just have to be diligent about saying, I'm going to have a cup and a half at lunch and a cup and a half at dinner. It's not that much. Um, I know if you, if you're coming from a place where you don't eat vegetables, it seems like a lot, but with this one, I'm going to be a little bit more hard on you. It's not that much. Um, it's a cup and a half, or you could even spread it out further. You know, you could do like, if you want to do some at breakfast and I'm not specifically saying you need to eat any specific veggies, although including leafy greens and cruciferous veggies is, is great. You can get a lot of them out of the way in a little smoothie. Um, the one place I would not do, I would not juice them because that eliminates the fiber, which is an important piece of this, this puzzle. But three cups a day is a great starting place. Um, and I would say that's probably the minimum that people should be eating on a day-to-day basis. So try to do that. If that's too much for you, if it's like, I, I cannot, like I can't, I gag, you know, and I've had clients like that, then my suggestion would be definitely do a smoothie every day so that you can get a lot of it out of the way, but then try to eat some, however much you can stomach, you're going to push yourself with this. And every day, if you continue pushing yourself, you continue trying new types of veggies, you continue trying different ways to eat them, you will eventually develop a taste for them and start to like them. It does happen, I promise. And I can tell you that from personal experience because I used to hate vegetables and now I really like them. So uh, one suggestion with this would be that uh, to look for vegan recipes online or vegetarian recipes. The vegans and vegetarians have gotten really good at making vegetables taste good. So I would look for dishes that are vegetarian um, or from from like vegetarian specific bloggers and you'll find a lot of really good things that'll actually taste really good instead of just steaming them because I'm honestly steaming them is the grossest way to have them. Um, Sauteing in some oil is way better. Roasting is really good. Like do it however you need to do it to make it taste good. But if you're just like steaming them out of like a bag – that's it. Nobody likes that. I won't say nobody. Some people like steamed vegetables, but honestly, it's kind of gross. So try them different ways and you will start to like them better. The next goal would be to get about two liters of water a day. And uh, this is something that I don't think we talk about enough. And again, something that I struggle with as well, because I'm always forgetting to drink water. I think this is just like a universal problem <laughs> that we forget to drink water. But two liters of water a day is enough that you will be supporting your liver and your body's natural detoxification processes. You'll be supporting your kidneys um, and all these uh, all these different processes happening in your body. And it also um, prevents you from relying so much on you know artificially sweetened beverages or things that have flavor um, or carbonated beverages because. While those things like while like LaCroix and things like that aren't the worst thing in the world, for sure. I mean, they're they're fine. They're a healthy part of a of a balanced diet. You shouldn't be getting all of your liquids from things like that. It's good to get just plain filtered water. It's good for you. Um I particularly recommend reverse osmosis filtered water. Um alkaline water is good too. But you want filtered water because water typically um, is a source of um, of estrogenic 
material or, or xenoestrogens, especially if it comes in plastic. So try not to drink it out of plastic water bottles. There are a lot of grocery stores um, and like Whole Foods for sure. I know you can get like glass jugs if you need to like get water from somewhere. These glass jugs and you can fill them up with water from their like little water filtration machine. And that's a way to cut down on plastic and, um, you know, or even if you need to put it like directly from the machine into a big giant plastic bottle, uh, plastic jug, and then you just make sure you keep it cold and keep it in, you know, a glass or aluminum kind of drinking container throughout the day. However you need to do it, just try to avoid the, um, try to avoid the big plastic water bottles and things like that. And, you know, this is like one of those areas where I really ought to practice what I preach a bit more. I struggle with this. Um, I do drink out of a lot of plastic bottles and it's something that, um, maybe I'll make that my, my 2022 goal. I haven't made one yet to drink two liters of water a day, not from plastic bottles. This is something that we can all work on. And, you know, for the environment too, we really ought to, there's so much going on with that, um, which I mean, not to get into, not to get political and get into things, but like there's systemic issues here that I don't think that the average consumer necessarily needs to address. Like it's more of a, um, a systemic problem that needs to be addressed. However, we can still do our part and not be buying like single use plastic items, you know, because we're contributing to the mess by doing that. So two liters of water a day, good for your liver, good for your PCOS. It's good for your hormones. It really is. Um, it seems like such a simple thing, but it helps you detoxify and that's important. Okay. Two more things to add, and these don't have anything to do with food. So I saved them for last. So the first thing is 10 minutes of stress reducing activity. Stress reduction is so key in PCOS. I keep beating a dead horse here with this, but there's so much research to support things like simple things like yoga and movement being helpful for PCOS symptoms, um, meditation being helpful for PCOS symptoms. Like, isn't that weird? You would think that blood sugar imbalances and inflammation and all these other things are purely um, diet based. I know that that's what I always thought. And that's one reason I became a nutritionist was because I was like, okay. You know, these people who are talking about like, oh, you just need to, you just need to change your energy and it'll help with your, it'll help with your health. I was like, that's a crock. Um, the only thing that I, that makes sense to me that could help with health is like, um, you know, food or possibly like some sort of surgical intervention if you had, I don't know, something else going on. But I just, I it couldn't wrap my head around anything besides food making a difference in things like chronic inflammation. But the research has proved me wrong. Um, and I learned a lot of this when I was in my master's program, and then a lot has come out since then. But um, these stress-reducing modalities in PCOS can be really, really helpful. Um, at reducing inflammation and insulin resistance, which then reduces other symptoms. So um, we know that the adrenals play a big role in PCOS. And I would say that most most of the women that I've worked with have had some sort of adrenal dysfunction, whether it was like a cortisol imbalance or high DHEAS or uh, whatever it may be. But definitely high testosterone and high insulin can come from the adrenals too. It's not just like the insulin resistance doesn't necessarily happen in a vacuum, right? Like we don't just, we're not just like 
born with insulin resistance all the time. Like sometimes we are, sometimes we have a genetic predisposition for that. But, um, a lot of us develop insulin resistance and inflammation from overactive adrenals. Um, and uh, if you're interested in the interplay between the kind of the three main root causes of PCOS, the the DHEA, the, the adrenals, the inflammation, the insulin resistance, all that kind of stuff, that's what I go into a lot of depth in in my new course, um, Functional PCOS, which I'll talk about at the very end here. So stick around if you want to hear about it. But um, it's launching February 22nd, and it's a really in-depth course all on the the root causes and, and all that. So if you're interested in that kind of thing and figuring out more about what, you know, where your issues might be coming from, that's what that course is designed to kind of do. Um, but fundamentally, like, even if you don't have high DHEAS, I see a lot of cortisol issues in PCOS, a lot of adrenal issues in PCOS. So we know that stress-reducing activities help to reduce the impact of those kinds of things. And they're really important. Um, so it doesn't really matter what you do. It's more about consistency with all of this. So whether it's 10 minutes a day of gentle stretching, flexibility, yoga, I think it's good for those of us with PCOS. Often I, f- I find that like we spend a lot of time outside of our bodies, um, if that makes sense. Like energetically, I know I'm getting kind of woo-woo on you guys here, but energetically we're kind of dissociated, right? We're like a lot of us have trauma um, from an early age, you know, either sexual trauma or some other type of trauma. Um, and we find it hard to connect with our bodies. And some of that comes from constantly being, you know, angry at your body or like confused by it, not, not being able to be in control of it, not understanding it from a very young age, a very crucial age, you know, puberty, um, for a lot of us. But anyway, there, there's this, this disconnect a lot of times in PCOS between our mind and, um, on our body. And so I think that movement-based stress-reducing techniques can be especially helpful in PCOS. And that's just a theory of mine, but, um, but things like yoga, I think where, or stretching, you know, anything where you're like kind of have to get in your body to do it, I think can be helpful. And that can even look like movement that you enjoy. Like it can look like exercise if you enjoy it. And it's something meditative that you have to focus on. The point is like you to be focusing on something. But then also we know that things like mindfulness meditation are helpful in PCOS. And this is something that personally I do daily. Um, and it, it doesn't always like, you know, I'm not like sitting in a corner saying, um, um, but in the morning I take a little time just for myself, just to kind of honestly stare off into space a lot. And that's meditation. <laughs> um, you know, the, it's like intentional time focused on something besides work or all these other things that you're torn in different directions on. Mindfulness meditation is is really just about being in the present present moment and kind of letting your thoughts um pass through you and all of that. So there are lots and lots of like books and things like that. That again, this is something else that I go into more depth on in in the course. And actually I I recorded a guided meditation for the class. So um if you take it, you know, don't make fun of me. But um Hopefully it's, it's helpful, but yeah. So this is the kind of thing that, that I think is really, really helpful. And a byproduct of doing something like this too is that I think that incorporating stress reducing activities changes the way that we feel about ourselves. It changes our relationship to our body over time and we develop this more positive outlook. 
And that helps us to make more choices that are beneficial for us over time. So it's kind of like a two for one situation. So, you know, if you don't do anything else, I recommend starting with this one. I don't know if you guys can hear my, my two-year-old, but there's no keeping him quiet during podcast recording time. So if you, (laughs) if you're a baby in the background, he's probably saying, um, I dump it. That's his new thing. He loves dump trucks and, um, he likes to, you know, like put blocks in them or whatever and like dump it out. And he says, I dump it. Um, so anyway, (sighs) stress reducing movement, very important. Um, and then the last thing is incorporating 20 minutes of exercise daily. 20 minutes, I feel like is a reasonable goal for a lot of people because all you have to do to do that is either take one little 20 minute walk, you know, after dinner every day, or break it up into a few five minute chunks or 10 minute chunks. Um, and you've done a lot more than you normally would. A lot of us sit almost all day and, um, just don't get enough, enough movement. So I think incorporating a walk daily is really, really helpful. And we know that that can bring down insulin. It can um, help with inflammation. It's just helpful for your overall health. It's helpful for your PCOS symptoms and getting into the habit of it is a really good thing. Um, it also improves your mobility, which is so important. So 20 minutes of movement, however you want to divide that up, I think a good goal, if you want like a step goal to aim for is 7,500 steps a day, 7,500. You know, if you have a little Fitbit that you got for Christmas or something, aim for 7,500. I know the Fitbit's going to say 10,000 and 10,000 is great. But the research says that if you get over 7,500, that's when you really start to see the impacts. So, you know, you can make that your goal too. It doesn't have to be the 10,000 steps right away. Um, Work your way to it. But yeah, that 20 minutes of movement is huge. So in the last couple of minutes here, I want to talk, um, I want to just say a little bit about functional PCOS, the course and what it is and, you know, why you might want to take it. Basically what I did is I took a conglomerate of all, of all the clients I've worked with in the past with PCOS and I combined what has worked for the very vast majority of them into a few kind of different categories and created a course that sort of goes along with that. So what I, what we do is we go through the different root causes of PCOS and there's even a quiz that you'll get to take that'll kind of tell you which combination of root causes you might have. Um, so we talk about like, you know, oh, I'm, you know, 45% inflammation and 30% insulin resistance or whatever. Um, I just made like a fun little quiz just to kind of give you an idea because I do think that the that with PCOS, we usually don't just have one root cause. It's like a conglomeration. It's a vortex, I call it. So the course is aims to give you information about each of those root causes just so that you really feel like you understand where they come from and how they impact each other um, and how to get to the bottom of that. And then we do um, a couple, two different diets. There's two different four-week diets. There's a first phase where I, I help you start to address in, um, potential inflammation and food sensitivities with diet, which I do with almost all my clients as they're getting started with me. Cause I think it's just a really important part of, of understanding your own body and where it is right now. So we go through a phase like that and it's designed for PCOS 
and, um, and helping with all the different roots of PCOS. And then we move you into a phase two, which is more of a balanced lifestyle approach for PCOS. And there's four weeks of meal plans on that. And I have plans to offer like additional meal plans, um, to kind of keep you going for, for purchase and things like that. But there's, there's all that. I also show you the, the back end of things, like how, how these plans are put together, like calorically, um, carb wise, um, how, like how you can set up your own. So if you don't want to follow like, oh, Amber wants me to make this recipe, you know, if you don't want to do that and you, you want to put together food yourself, like I give you the, the templates for how to do that. Um, and there's sections on supplements. I have a, a like an hour long section, section going through all the supplements that I like to use for PCOS, what they're good for, you know, who they're best for, who to avoid them. Um, same thing with labs. I go through all the different labs that you can get run for PCOS and what they mean. Um, and we talk about um, facial hair, like solutions for facial hair. We talk about stress. We talk about um, we talk about weight loss. The course itself is not like designed specifically for weight loss. It's it's I aimed to induce a small, like a slight amount of weight loss for the average person. The average person will lose some weight on it is what I'm saying. Um, but I also go into a lot of depth on how you can alter it for yourself if you are really, if we, losing weight is really important to you. Um, or even if you need to gain weight, I talk about that. I talk about maintenance. So it goes into as much as I as much as I can about how to live with PCOS, how to understand PCOS. I think the majority of the course is how to understand what's happening with you and then how to implement solutions for those things. I'm going to link to the, uh, to the page all about it on my website. And you can take a look at that. It is launching February 22nd. It's currently, um, it is currently with beta testers. So this is its second round of edits. And, um, you know, the goal is just to get it as perfect as it can be so that once we officially launch, those of you who take it will have a really, really good experience. So I will link below to the page for it if you want to go check out more about um, what it's going to look like and read a little bit more about it. And before we go, um, I just want to remind y'all, if you have questions, definitely submit them. Um, I love to hear them. And if you happen to have um, Apple Podcasts or you want to go make yourself a little account, don't forget to leave a five-star review for the podcast. It helps us get our name out there. And you guys have done an awesome job of that over the last several months. And I, I think that's part of the reason why the podcast is getting so so much more attention lately. So thank you. If you, le- if you have left a review, you are... Um, you're awesome. And I, I love you, but I love you even if you haven't left a review, but anyway, <laughs> thank you so much for listening today. And, uh, I will see you in a couple of weeks. If you learned something today or you enjoyed today's episode or both, I'd love it. If you would leave me an iTunes review and share this with a friend. If this brought up a question for you that you would like to hear me answer, there is a Google form that you can use to ask me any question you want, and I might answer it here on the podcast. I do it all the time, and I would love to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.